And now, coming to you from an undisclosed location. It's the Novus Ordo Watch Trapcast. You've gotta be kidding. Habemus Papa. You can't make the stuff up. There may be a lot of bad news out there these days, but here's some good news for a change. It's time for another Trapcast. The traditional Roman Catholic podcast that mops the floor with Jorge Bergoglio and other false popes and false prophets of the Vatican II Church. Thank you for tuning in. This is episode number 33. And now, let's get started. On February 18th of this year, there was an 80-minute live special broadcast on churchmilitant.com on the topic, Is Bergoglio Really the Pope?, hosted by Michael Voris. Now, of course you know how he answered that question, but that's not the interesting thing here. In fact, the show wasn't directed so much against Sedevacantism as against the increasingly popular belief that Benedict XVI never resigned validly and therefore remains Pope, so to speak. We've called this belief resignationism. Others have termed it Benevacantism, Benepapism, or the BIP theory. BIP standing for Benedict is Pope. Anyway, we're going to go ahead now and listen in on a few clips of that program because we just can't let Michael Voris get away with some of the stuff he said. You know, some people just have poor memory, and I guess Church Militant was counting on that. You'll know exactly what I mean in just a minute. Scandal must be confronted. That means all scandals, anything that can be seen as giving a permission to sin, any sin, and leaving the church counts as a sin, as well as leading people out of the church. That's wicked and sinful as well. Ah, good to know. Ironically, however, I remember a day, and it wasn't all that long ago, when practically everybody was bewildered by and denouncing Francis' scandals from the rooftops except Church Militant. But not only was the Michael Voris operation silent then, they actually had the gall to condemn those like us and also many non-Sedevacantists who were taking issue with Francis as promoters of spiritual pornography. Yeah, that's what they called it. You see, on their Frequently Asked Questions page, they used to have a link to a page called Public Criticism of the Pope. That page was updated a few times over the years until it was finally removed because, you know, they ended up doing the exact thing they had been telling people for years was wrong to do. 
But not to worry, folks, we've saved a few versions of that page over the years, and we're putting links to some of the archived versions in the show notes for this episode, Tratcast 33. You can access the show notes, if they're not already showing on your listening device, at tratcast.org. Simply scroll down to Tratcast 33, click on that link, and that will give you all you need for this show. Now, together with links to some of the archived versions uh, of this page, this public criticism of the Pope page, we're also giving you the original link for what used to be that page so you can see what happens when you click that link now. You're sent to a page that asks you to make a donation to Church Militant. How interesting. Well, so let's have a quick look at the archived version of the public criticism of the Pope page as it was publicly accessible on October 2nd, 2017. At the very top, we find a quote from St. Catherine of Siena. Quote, Even if the Pope were an incarnate devil, we ought not to raise up our heads against him, but calmly lie down to rest on his bosom. He who rebels against our Father is condemned to death, for that which we do to him we do to Christ. We honor Christ if we honor the Pope. We dishonor Christ if we dishonor the Pope. Unquote. Yep, St. Catherine is exactly right. It doesn't make a difference as to how immoral of a Catholic the Pope is. As long as he truly is the Pope and for that he has to be a Catholic, obviously, we must accept his teaching, his laws, his decisions for the Church. The case of Jorge Bergoglio is quite different, though, because Bergoglio does not even profess the true faith. He's a modernist through and through, so it's not that he's a bad Catholic, he's not a Catholic. In any case, Church Militant accepts Francis as Pope and, at this point, constantly mocks and criticizes him, the very thing that St. Catherine said was not permissible because we dishonor Christ if we dishonor the Pope. Yeah, so Church Militant obviously had a little change of heart there because they are now disobeying and disagreeing with the saintly advice of St. Catherine. Anyway, also on that page, we find links to as many as six different episodes of Michael Voris's Vortex program, in which he makes the case that Francis ought not to be criticized publicly. That is followed by quite a few paragraphs of text, from which I'm now going to quote a little bit. Quote, it is our judgment that most Catholics should neither read nor have easy access to articles and essays that could be judged insulting to the Pope. Such writings should be published and reserved for those capable of engaging them without risk of damage to their faith in the Church and the Vicar of Christ. We make these recommendations for the same reasons that we discourage people from visiting Sedeva Contest and pornography websites. They are potential occasions of sin, from which masters of the spiritual life are unanimous in their recommendation of flight rather than fight. 
They lead people to think or do things they would not otherwise have thought or done, and almost without exception, those things are harmful to one's spiritual life." Unquote. So that approach, too, they have since abandoned, since they themselves are now providing easy access to articles and essays that could be judged insulting to the Pope, as they put it. A little further on, we find this, quote, The Church herself cannot be our enemy, and that perception is precisely what trenchant criticism of the Pope invites and enables. There may be apostasy throughout the Church, even at the very top, but the Church doesn't cease to be the Church any more than our Lord ceased to be our Lord during his passion and death. We shouldn't and don't need to go looking for reasons to lose faith in the Church." Unquote. So, I guess that by reporting on Francis's heresies, blasphemies, and other scandals, church militant is now trying to get people to lose faith in the church. Is that it? I mean, come on. You know, either their approach was wrong then, or it is wrong now. In any case, what a ridiculous ecclesiology they have. Hey, look, the church may be in apostasy, but that doesn't mean it ceases to be the church, because then the gates of hell would have prevailed. I mean, seriously? Do these people ever listen to themselves? If you believe that the Catholic Church can spread apostasy, then you've already lost faith in the church. And that has nothing to do with, oh, you know, it's the passion of the church. Well, there's no doubt that the Catholic Church is undergoing her own mystical passion right now, but that does not mean she can start teaching heresy, or that she can persecute the faithful, or lead souls to hell. Our Lord was cruelly scourged, beaten, and crucified, but he did not betray his disciples. He did not mislead anyone. He did not suddenly preach a false gospel or do the work of the devil. So there is no analogy between the Passion of Christ and the Vatican II Church. Further on in the text, Church Militant writes this, quote, Those who relentlessly criticize the Church, her leaders, and especially the Holy Father, risk doing immense harm to the Church herself and discouraging both potential converts and those struggling to stay faithful through the crisis that is all around us. Unquote. All right, so much for scandal must be confronted. Scandal must be confronted. And there's more. Quote, a line must be drawn when it comes to harsh criticism of the Holy Father. Even when he says or does things that would invite appropriate criticism when said or done by those of lower ecclesiastical rank. Errant priests and bishops can be replaced. The Pope cannot. The Pope represents and symbolizes the unity of the Church in a way that bishops and priests do not, unquote. Okay, so again, I, I suppose that's no longer the case now, since Church Militant constantly bashes Francis now, and quite rightly so, of course. Next, Church Militant appeals to sacred scripture to make its case for refusing to report on Bergoglio's heresies, blasphemies, and other scandals as of late 2017, when this page was still up. The argument being made 
is that Francis is behaving somewhat like Noah, who ended up accidentally exposing himself after he'd drunk too much wine. And Cham, one of his three sons, told his brothers Sem and Japheth about it. The passage in question is Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 through 27. And I'm going to read that now from the Douay-Rheims version. Quote, And the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Sem, Cham, and Japheth. And Cham is the father of Canaan. These three are the sons of Noah. And from these was all mankind spread over the whole earth. And Noah, a husbandman, began to till the ground and planted a vineyard. And drinking of the wine was made drunk and was uncovered in his tent, which when Cham, the father of Canaan, had seen, to wit that his father's nakedness was uncovered, he told it to his two brethren without. But Sem and Japheth put a cloak upon their shoulders and going backward covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah, awaking from the wine, when he had learned what his younger son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Sem, be Canaan his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Sem, and Canaan be his servant." Unquote. So, this is a bit difficult to understand in this archaic language, but essentially, Noah's son Chem thought it was hilarious what his father had done and gossiped to his brothers about it, whereas those brothers immediately went to cover him up so as to preserve or restore his dignity. And so, Church Militant was making the argument that we should not be like Chem and expose Bergoglio's scandals but instead cover them up, refuse to talk about them, and so keep the dignity of the papacy intact. Here is what Church Militant said. Quote, A strong case can be made that Pope-bashing sites and publications and those who write for them are walking in the footsteps of Cham by telling others of their father's nakedness. Scripture gives us the example of Sem and Japheth who covered the nakedness of their father, their faces were turned away, and they saw not their father's nakedness. The sons of Noah knew that their father was naked, but they chose to cover it. Unquote. So that was Michael Voris's position then, right? In as late as October of 2017. But that's all been abandoned since. Right. Now they're big time into the business of exposing the scandals of the quote-unquote Pope, which is, of course, why they have since removed that page. And by the way, as far as covering up France's uh, heresies, scandals, and blasphemies, that really does give a whole new meaning to the term covering the news, doesn't it? And back then they were also saying this, quote, no good is served by giving people the impression that the Pope is not Catholic, even if it can be alleged that there is reason to believe he is not. Trashing the Holy Father discourages those struggling to remain faithful to the Catholic Church, as well as those considering conversion to the Catholic Church. Unquote. Okay, so apparently then lots of good is now being served 
by making clear that Bergoglio is not a Catholic. And that no longer apparently discourages conversion to the Vatican II Church. Interesting how things change. Now, the last sentence on that public criticism of the Pope page underwent a little adjustment over the years. In the November 4th, 2016 version of the page, the last sentence read, quote, churchmilitant.com will not engage in public criticism of the Pope, period, unquote. By October 2nd, 2017, roughly a year later, that had morphed into, quote, churchmilitant.com will not engage in harsh public criticism of the Pope, period, unquote. And now, well, <laughs> now they do, in fact, engage in harsh public criticism of the man they believe to be the Pope, period. Okay, now, why am I bringing all of this up? Is it not permitted to change one's position? Of course it is. But the reason I'm bringing it up is not because, you know, oh, look, Voris changed his position. How dare he? No, it's because Voris now pretends that he didn't change his position, that he had always criticized Francis from the very beginning. And so, with all of this background that I just gave you, let's now go back and listen to the audio of the February 18th, 2022 special broadcast of Church Militant Live on whether Francis is really the Pope. Now, lots of people are, you know, sort of have the opinion, oh, Church Militant, you know, they don't say anything about the Pope and all this sort of stuff and everything. Let's be very clear, first of all, about our credentials. Church Militant has resisted Francis's bad papacy. Look at this list here. These are just a smattering of various stories that we have done since he was elected in 2013. We have gone in great depth in the China deal and McCarrick's ties to it and McCarrick's you know, horror and the nightmare of him and everything that he did. We about him slamming tradition. Uh, you know, restoring McCarrick, just a matter of weeks, according to Archbishop Vigano. Uh, we've, you know, covered that a matter of weeks after Francis uh, was elected. Uh, his frightening embrace of homosexuality and people like James Martin and, you know, saying civil unions are probably a good thing and all of that. We, we've gone and covered all of the synods, the extraordinary families. Uh, synod on the family, the ordinary synod of the family. We confronted all kinds of, you know, cardinals and archbishops on everything who are towing the Pope Francis line. Guys, bring the graphic back up, please, if you could. We have also, uh, you know, we were the ones who broke the news that he told a high-ranking, obviously, uh, uh, resident cardinal of Rome, quote, I want the confusion. Church Militant brought you that news because it was told directly to us. Other outlets picked it up. We're the ones who told you. Those are direct words from Pope Francis himself, and we're the ones who told you that. We've told you about him covering up bad bishops, promoting bad men, demoting good ones. So we're just putting all of this out here right now to let you know that we have viewed the Pope Francis papacy as very problematic from day one, and we have treated it as best we can as loyal Catholics. Oh, really now? From day one? Well, let's see. Day one was March 13th, 2013. That was a long time ago. And in the very beginning, 
Not only was Church Militant not covering any of the bad stuff about Bergoglio, well, <laughs> I guess they were actually covering it, yes. Um, no, Michael Voris actually bent over backwards to spin Francis into an ultra-conservative. Remember that? But those aren't the only comments, homilies, and remarks the Holy Father has made that are Catholic. In challenging Catholics to be more stalwart and rigid, yes, rigid in their faith, he said, quote, But when we start to cut down the faith, to negotiate the faith, a little like selling it to the highest bidder, we take the path of apostasy, of disloyalty to the Lord. Did you hear that, seminary formation teams? Bam! Pope Francis talks like a pope, like the successor to St. Peter. Bam! What a decisive thing to say. My, oh my, there goes yet another pope being all Catholic and all that. Yeah, bam. That was the famous bam vortex of May 6th, 2013, duly linked in the show notes. So that is what Michael Voris was doing on day one, so to speak. Other examples abound. For instance, in a video dated November 26, 2013, Voris was making the case that after the first eight months, Francis was now advancing to the mature stage of his pontificate, becoming <clears throat> Francis the Pope. Take, for example, these first few months of our Holy Father's pontificate. He has been warmly embraced by atheists and rock stars and a fawning diabolical media seemingly with more thrills for him than even over Obama. Heck, even the child killer-in-chief was oozing over the Vicar of Christ recently. But what is not being reported by the theological modernists and the social liberals is that Pope Francis is distancing himself now from the image that has been painted of him by that crowd and becoming more of Francis the Pope as opposed to just warm and fuzzy Pope Francis. Now look, I won't blame Michael Voris for allowing Francis to mislead him with some conservative quotes, but I do blame him for now claiming that he's been critical of Francis from day one. That's simply not true. Voris was doing all he could to present Francis as that modernist-smacking superpope he never was. In fact, even as late as April 8th, 2016, the day the scandalous exhortation Amoris Laetitia was released, Church Militant gave a rather positive presentation of the document. And quick reminder here, in Amoris Laetitia, Bergoli slyly included a loophole in paragraph 305 and especially footnote 351 a loophole that basically permits unrepentant adulterers to receive Holy Communion. Furthermore, Francis even says in paragraph 303 that people can legitimately arrive at the conviction that God desires them to commit adultery on account of the complexity of their situation. So, what did Michael Voris do? Did he rip the document to shreds? Did he expose all this? Not at all. The Church Militant report on Amoris Laetitia simply cherry-picked the good and orthodox stuff and was silent on the rest. You can see it for yourself because we put the link in the show notes. What's particularly distasteful about that 
is that on March 21st, 2013, Voris was busy condemning the secular media for quoting Francis selectively and so spin his message. Now, many of the media and their secularist lapdogs aren't so concerned or even believing that Pope Francis is going to come out and give his seal of approval, boom, to same-sex marriage or contraception or whatever. But, 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 if they can keep the public mindset about him one of, look how different he is from Benedict, it will be all the easier for them down the road to start selectively quoting from future sermons and encyclicals and whatever, so they can spin his words. Now, it is true that Voris and his gang did cover the controversy about Amoris Laetitia, especially what high-ranking prelates said about it, and then the dubia and all that, but church militant tried to do what they could to save Francis, to find an acceptable interpretation, etc. In no way were they, you know, exposing how bad Francis is from day one. Not at all. In fact, three days after the release of Amoris Laetitia, Church Militant writer Bradley Eli published an article on the Church Militant website entitled Pope Francis, No Communion for Divorced and Remarried Catholics. Yes, you heard that right. That article was based on something Francis had said in an interview a few weeks prior, prior to the release of Amoris Laetitia. And so Bradley Eli was using those comments to now put spin on Amoris Laetitia. And so that's exactly what I mean when I say that they were doing all they could to save Francis. Now, again, I'm not trying to blame them for falling for Bergoglio's misleading tactics. I am blaming them for now pretending that they were critical of Francis from the very beginning. Quite the contrary. In fact, the obvious refusal on Voris's part to condemn Francis for the very same things he was constantly blasting other high-ranking clerics for is what we nicknamed the Voris virus on Novus Ordo Watch. Likewise, it was because of Michael Voris's habit of ignoring Francis' scandals while happily reporting on the scandals of everyone else that we called his Vortex program the Ignortex. And we had quite a few blog posts on that. Those are linked in the show notes as well. At some point, Voris then began to accuse those who were exposing Francis as spiritual or ecclesiastical pornographers while presenting himself as the righteous one covering Noah's nakedness. Now, while it is true that Church Militant has exposed a lot of bad stuff from Francis, that basically all didn't start until the middle of 2018, well over five years into Bergoglio's reign of error. So, the report on when Francis said, I want the confusion, yes, it was Church Militant that broke that story. But that wasn't until October 7th, 2019. Got the link in the show notes. All right, let's listen to some more from the Church Militant special live broadcast of February 18th, 2022. We'd also like to remind you that of what we did almost five years ago in a vortex. You, Holy Father, as every Catholic must do when in a state of sin, should accuse and judge yourself guilty now 
while you still have air in your lungs and dispose of the wicked heretics and sodomites you have shamelessly collected around yourself so that they may never have a role in electing your successor. Then, as your last act in office, you should resign the papacy and spare Holy Mother Church and the people of God any further harm and evil that you could inflict upon them. That was five years ago. So anybody who wants to say, oh, we don't really say anything about the Pope, hogwash. We have been on this track from the very beginning. Wrong. That was not five years ago, Mr. Voris. That video, entitled Church Militant Statement on the Pope, was published on August 27th, 2018. So late August 2018 through mid-February of 2022, that's more like three and a half years, not five years. It's amazing how Voris could get that wrong, considering he could have just looked up the date of publication on his own website, where the video and the transcript were published, or on YouTube. By the way, in response to that change of editorial policy at Church Militant, a day later, on August 28, 2018, Chris Jackson published a blog post at The Remnant entitled, Now that it's safe and five years late, Michael Voris okays criticism of Francis. So, Voris is definitely stretching the truth here for the sake of damage control. Again, it's totally fine if you need to change your position. Changing one's position in the light of new evidence is a noble thing. It's not something to be embarrassed about. But if you do change your position, then for heaven's sake, admit it and don't pretend that you didn't. But maybe Michael Voris thinks his viewers are idiots or simply have very poor memory. All right, let's go back to the audio of the special broadcast of February 18th, 2022. The main topic, of course, is whether Francis is really the Pope or not. Voris says that there are only four options, and they are the following. First, Benedict is still the Pope, which means Francis is not. A number of Catholics seem to hold that position. Benedict is not the Pope, but neither is Francis, because the conclave was rigged and invalid. Number three, the conclave was valid, but Pope Francis at some point after become elect, becoming elected Pope became a heretic and he is no longer the Pope. The see is now empty. And Francis is Pope, but he's just a bad one. Leave this up for a moment, guys, and back the prompter up, please. He is one of, only one of those four possibilities is the case when you look at the question, is he the Pope or is he not? That's it. And that is already not correct. The one position that actually corresponds to the facts here was not mentioned by Michael Voris. Let's review. He says there are only these four possible options. Francis isn't Pope because Benedict XVI is. Francis isn't Pope because the conclave was rigged and therefore invalid. Francis isn't Pope anymore because he lost the papacy on account of heresy. And Francis is the Pope, but a really bad one. Those are the four positions mentioned by Voris. Now, 
Next, he proceeds to explain why the first three of these four options are not correct and the fourth one is. Yet the truth is that none of these four scenarios is actually the case. The true position is that Francis isn't the Pope because he is, by divine law, incapable of being Pope, regardless of who or how many people elected him. Back in 2013, he was already a public and manifest heretic, an obvious non-Catholic. And here I want to leave out of consideration the question of what's called sede privationism, which is basically a subset of sede vacantism, which holds that Francis was technically elected but could not validly accept the election. Okay. At the end of the day, all Sedevacantists are in agreement that the 2013 conclave did not produce a true pope. Not because it was rigged, but either because it was unlawful altogether, being simply a gathering of modernist pseudo-cardinals, or, as the Sedevacantists hold, it was a meeting of valid electors, but the man they designated did not, in fact, become pope. So, ironically, the one position Michael Voris does not address in the special broadcast on whether Bergoglio is the Pope is the state of a contest position. And that's why I didn't even bother covering this on, on the Novel Sorta Watch blog at the time, because for the most part, it really was not a challenge to state of a contism. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute. Voris's third scenario is that Francis lost the papacy on account of heresy, and that's the state of Acantus position. But it's not. I have yet to encounter a single state of Acantus who believes that Francis was elected and started out as pope, as a true pope, but then lost the pontificate on account of heresy. I mean, the heresy was already front and center when he was Novus Ordo Archbishop of Buenos Aires in Argentina. For example... In an interview book published in 2010, which he co-authored with his friend Abraham Skorka, who is a Jewish rabbi, by the way, Bergoglio says this, quote, The church officially recognizes that the people of Israel continue to be the chosen people. Nowhere does it say, you lost the game, now it is our turn, unquote. You can find that in the book On Heaven and Earth, English translation published in 2013, page 188. Now, that is heresy because it is directly contrary to divine revelation. I mean, the New Testament is filled with references to the Old Covenant being over and the church being the new chosen people, the Catholic Church. Let me just mention one single passage, and this is uh, Matthew twenty one forty three, where our blessed Lord himself says to the Jews, quote, Therefore I say to you that the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and shall be given to a nation yielding the fruits thereof, unquote. And of course, to claim that the old covenant is still valid, still operative for the Jews, also implies that Jesus Christ is not the Messiah, or that he is the Messiah, but that he lied when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. That's John 14, 6. 
Anyway, to return to Michael Voris, for this third scenario about Francis losing the pontificate on account of heresy, he goes off on Taylor Marshall, who had been arguing that Francis spoke heresy when he said that no one can exclude himself from the church, that even heretics and apostates are part of the communion of saints. Voris makes the point that Although it's clearly wrong, that teaching of Francis does not rise to the level of heresy. Okay, fine, let's grant that. But then, even if that one doesn't, there's five million other things Francis has said and taught that do rise to the level of heresy. But of course, Voris only focuses on that particular one. How convenient. Hey, if you want to see a whole laundry list of Bregolian heresies, errors, blasphemies, and other scandals, go ahead and check the show notes for a link entitled The Facts About Pope Francis. And yes, we're talking real heresies here. For example, on June 26, 2016, on the return flight from Armenia, Francis held a press conference aboard Airhead One, and explicitly affirmed that he believes that Martin Luther was right on the doctrine of justification. Here's what he said, quote, I think that the intentions of Martin Luther were not mistaken. He was a reformer. Perhaps some methods were not correct. And I'm skipping ahead a little bit. Today, Lutherans and Catholics, Protestants, all of us agree on the doctrine of justification. On this point, which is very important, he did not err, unquote. And by he, he was referring to Martin Luther. Now, that is explicit, pertinacious heresy, because obviously Francis knows that Martin Luther's doctrine of justification was condemned infallibly by the Council of Trent. So, it really doesn't get much more heretical than that. We're talking about a doctrine condemned by anathemas. And there you have Francis saying that Luther was right and effectively Trent was wrong. Now, of course, the typical objection you will hear at this point is that, oh well, that was just Francis speaking informally at a press conference. That's not a magisterial document. Okay, Let's grant that that press conference wasn't part of his magisterium, which is questionable, by the way, because he has said in the past that whenever he speaks, it's magisterial. But okay, let's grant that this was not an exercise of the magisterium. So what? It's still heresy. It's still Francis telling us what he believes just like Martin Luther told the world what he believes. So, if Luther was a heretic for saying it, then so is Francis. And no, there does not have to be a canonical warning given first before one could say that Francis is being pertinacious. First, if we assume he is Pope, then no warning could be given him because for a warning to be canonical and effective, it has to come from a superior and the Pope, of course, has no superior on earth. Second, the purpose of a warning is to ensure that the person who uttered heresy is aware that what he said is contrary to church dogma. 
But in Francis's case, it's already clear that he is aware of that. For one thing, because it's his job to be aware more than anyone else's on earth, actually. And secondly, because it's simply inconceivable that he wouldn't know that Martin Luther was condemned as a heretic by the church. And thirdly, because he's speaking in the very context of overcoming the divide between Catholics and Lutherans on justification. So, there's no way you can say that Francis isn't being pertinacious here. He's making clear that in the debate between Martin Luther and the Council of Trent, he agrees with Luther. Now, keep in mind what we read in the book Moral Theology, 1958 edition, by the Dominican fathers John A. McHugh and Charles J. Callan. In article number 829b, the authors write, quote, For formal heresy, it is not required that a person give his assent out of malice, or that he continue in obstinate rejection for a long time, or that he refuse to heed admonitions given him. Pertinacity here means true consent to recognized error, and this can proceed from weakness for example, from anger or other passion, it can be given in an instant and does not presuppose an admonition disregarded. Unquote. Yes, got it linked in the show notes. Now, there's no need to go through everything Michael Voris says in his documentary, since, like I said, it's not really interacting with the state of Akana's position anyway. And some of it is just so weird and dumb, so obviously false, that it doesn't really require a refutation. For example, one of the things he says is that if Benedict XVI were secretly still the Pope, then any bishops appointed by Francis would not be validly ordained. I mean, that's just embarrassingly stupid. And it's amusing, too, because he's saying this while he's blasting other people for their theological errors. <laughs> it's hilarious. Anyway, there are a few more sound bites, though, from that special church militant broadcast that I think are important enough to comment on. And so we'll look at those, and then we'll finally go to a break and move on. In the course of his presentation about how Bergoglio has supposedly not been proven to be a heretic, Michael Voris shows himself very concerned about scandal, and he claims that to say that Francis is a heretic is a huge scandal to souls that leads people out of the church. Here's what he says. The scandal caused two souls. Remember what a scandal is. A scandal is something that so weakens somebody's faith that they believe in their mind they now have permission to go sin. God hates sin. And this is why scandal must be opposed, because it leads to sin. Okay, so by that definition of scandal, Mr. Voris, which of the following two scenarios do you think will incite people to sin? The idea that the Mother Earth-worshipping blasphemer who agrees with Martin Luther permits Holy Communion for adulterers, encourages sodomites in their lifestyles, and tells Jews they have their own valid covenant with God 
is indeed the vicar of Christ on earth who keeps the gates of hell from prevailing and whom we should follow, or is not in fact the vicar of Christ and just a charlatan whom we should not follow? Which of these two scenarios do you think, Michael Voris, is more likely to ruin people's faith in Catholicism and so put their souls in danger? To ask the question is to answer it. People can lose their faith. Weak souls can be so damaged by such an announcement that it becomes a great sin. It is a great sin to lead souls out of the church or to dissuade them from coming in. What man who calls himself a good Catholic would want to chance standing before our blessed Lord, the judge, with that on his soul? Now, of course here, Voris is just begging the question. Obviously, if Bergoglio is not the Pope, then you can't lead anyone out of the Catholic Church by demonstrating that he's not the Pope. In fact, if Bergoglio is not the Pope, then it is a great act of charity to say so. And then Michael Voris is actually the one endangering souls by arguing otherwise and keeping people attached to the apostate from Buenos Aires. It is precisely by pointing out that Francis is a false pope that we help people not to quit Catholicism. Francis is the one literally scandalizing souls left and right precisely because all the evil he does is understood to be coming from the pope. That's what scandalizes people. So, making the case that Francis is not the Pope actually helps to undo all the scandal. All right, one final thing from Michael Voris. Church Milton is not talking about we shouldn't be resisting the Pope when he's in error. We're not talking about not correcting whatever a Pope may say that's stupid or incorrect or confusing or misleading or whatever. We've been doing that all the time. Oh, that is good to know, Mr. Voris. By the way, what about this? We are assured by the Son of God that the church and the church in the person of the Pope cannot preach error. Yeah, that was from a Vortex episode called Attacking the Pope, broadcast on March 21st, 2013. So long ago. All right, it's time to take a quick break from the madness, and we will return in just a few moments. Don't go anywhere. Tradcast. Ignore this podcast at your own risk. Tradcast is a production of NovusOrtoWatch.org. We watch the Vatican II Church so you don't have to. Go to NovusOrtoWatch.org, NovusOrtoWatch.org, and see for yourself that the Vatican II Church is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. you are enjoying the sample of the motet Felix Nanquies from the album Sacred Choral Music by Nicholas Wilton, sung by the acclaimed English choir Magnificat. 
If you appreciate such sacred choral music, please support the traditional Catholic composer Nicholas Wilton by buying a copy of his CD or purchasing downloads of individual tracks from fourmarksmusic.com. That is F-O-U-R-M-A-I-K-S-M-U-S-I-C.com or his website catholicmusic.co.uk. There is more information and also a new CD of his piano music available on those websites. Thanks for sticking around. This is Tratcast number 33, the traditional Roman Catholic podcast where we are not more Catholic than the Pope, just more Catholic than the anti-Pope. You know, there's been a barrage of online material against Sedevacantism recently, especially coming from the website 1Peter5. It seems like at least once a week or so, there's some new article coming out against, you know, ultramontanism, hyper-uber-papalism, papalatry, that dreaded spirit of Vatican I, or on the limits of papal infallibility— Whatever. It's like an obsession, it seems. And I think I know why. Probably because more and more people are becoming sedevacantists. People are starting to figure it out. And that is very bad news for the semi-trats, the recognize and resist people. Ironically, though, the editor of 1 Peter 5, Timothy Flanders, just said this in a live-streamed video broadcast of August 8th, 2022. This is important for us today because like St. Maximilian, we, we may see the Masons completely surrounding St. Peter's Basilica. We may see them with their satanic parade, boasting that the Pope will be the slave of Satan. We may see it in so many words and so many scandals out there, but the more violently the storms engulf the rock of Peter, the more we believe in the rock of Peter. Uh, no, you don't. You don't. I don't even know how he could say that with a straight face. It is precisely because they don't believe in the papacy that they've been rethinking it. And their own Dr. Peter Kwasniewski has been at the forefront of it. His recent two-volume anthology, The Road from Hyperpapalism to Catholicism, is subtitled Rethinking the Papacy in a Time of Ecclesial Disintegration. Now, 
T.S. Flanders may have convinced himself that he and his fellow semi-trads are standing firm in their belief in the papacy while the Masonic armies are surrounding St. Peter's, but the truth is that they actually agree that it is evident that the Masons are now inside St. Peter's and that the so-called Pope is now himself spouting Masonic doctrine. That's what all their resistance is about. They're not standing firm against the Masons. They think the Masons have been successful in getting the Vicar of Christ himself now to promote the ideas of the Lodge. So, they have actually abandoned faith in the papacy by their stubborn refusal to let go of the idea that Francis is in fact the Pope. Meanwhile, the Remnant, long a recognize and resist publication that has always opposed sedevacantism, is easing up a little. On July 29th of this year, Chris Jackson posted a long article entitled How About We Keep the Papacy and Dump Bergoglio? Now, that of course is precisely what we've been saying here on this podcast and on Novos Ordo Watch for years. And yet, it always fell on deaf ears, and especially on the deaf ears of Chris Jackson. So, what changed? I'd be curious to know. And also, considering that John Salza and Robert Sisko have written articles against Sedevacantism in The Remnant for years, I, I guess that's an admission now that their argumentation really wasn't that convincing after all. In any case... Jackson does not quite make the Sedevacantist case, but he's at least waded far into Sedevacantist territory, which was always anathema to the remnant in the past. So, we're glad to see this initial opening to sanity on the part of the remnant now, and hopefully they'll eventually all come to understand that you cannot do both, retain the true Catholic faith and accept Francis as Pope. Just as a matter of logic, the one or the other has to go. In any case, it seems that the remnant is producing all kinds of contradictory stuff now, and I don't know how their readership is taking it, but it's just a complete mess at this point. Let me illustrate what I mean. For example, on February 10th, 2022, the remnant published an article called the Tragedy of New Church, by their Tokyo correspondent Jason Morgan. In that piece, Morgan denounces that Vatican II church as follows, and I'm, I'm summarizing and paraphrasing here using my own words, I'm not quoting, but this is what he says. He says that New Church, the Vatican II church, he calls it New Church, is inherently contradictory, a humanistic man-made institution, has a modernist identity, thwarts or destroys whatever good people would do, is not the Catholic Church, was born in schism, rupture, chaos, duplicity, misdirection, and bifurcation, is a sham, is a mockery, a mock-up of Catholicism, has diversity as its God, just like Satan, compels the Vatican to persecute Christians, 
has set up a false mass in place of the true mass, is an exiled camp of lost souls, may be the ape of the Catholic Church, is a stand-in for the real church, and has a pope that may be the Antichrist. Okay, so all of that is asserted by Jason Morgan in his Tragedy of New Church article of February 22nd, published in The Remnant. And yet, two months prior, the editor of The Remnant, Michael J. Matt, wrote this, quote, Even if we wanted to leave the church, which we do not, that would not help the situation since there would then be even less opposition from within. We must stay on in order to expose and oppose these infiltrators, unquote. And in April of 2021, Matt had written, quote, Ours is not a call to leave the church, and it never can be, and it never will be. Our fathers in the faith watched Christ die on the cross and then went on to build his church, not abandon it. And also, we cannot abandon the Catholic Church because of one bad pope or 1,000 bad bishops, unquote. So, which is it, Remnant? Is the Vatican II Church the indefectible Roman Catholic Church that alone has the true worship and outside of which there is no salvation? Or is it a diabolical apostate new church that offers to God a counterfeit mass, ruins people's faith, and tries to drag souls to hell at every opportunity? See, this is about so much more than just the status of one single individual, Jorge Bergoglio. This is about the Catholic Church, the mystical body of Christ. And the remnant wants to have it both ways. On the one hand, they're preaching that the Vatican II Church is the mystical body of Christ hanging on the cross that we must not abandon, and yet, on the other hand, they're preaching that the Vatican II Church is basically the mystical body of the Antichrist, which we must flee and detest and denounce. Jason Morgan writes, Those who want to remain Catholic will have to find their way out of New Church at some point. Michael Matt, on the contrary, writes, Why Francis will never run me out of my church. Well, hello? This is the blind leading the blind. By the way, you can find all of these things linked in the show notes. Now, fast forward to June 28, 2022. The Remnant publishes an article by Robert Morrison entitled Keeping the Faith at the Intersection of Indefectibility and Grim Reality. In that write-up, the author candidly states that the Vatican II Church which he apparently believes to be the Catholic Church, appears to have defected. And then he tries to reconcile that somehow with the Catholic doctrine of the indefectibility of the Church. Morrison writes, quote, Teachings on indefectibility lead some Catholics to believe that the Church has defected based on the current crisis. After all, the vast majority of Catholics would identify the visible Church to be the one led by Francis and his apostate colleagues, 
animated by the anti-Catholic spirit of Vatican II and following a synodal path to hell. Unquote. And then a little later, the same author says, quote, Satan wants us to conclude that the church has defected, which is perhaps why our Lord promised us that it never would. Unquote. And then in the last paragraph of that article, he writes, quote, Something would be amiss if Satan and his minions were not trying to convince us to abandon the fight by thinking that the church had been defeated. Unquote. So maybe Robert Morrison and Michael Matt could have a chat with Jason Morgan about not putting out contradictory narratives in the same, you know, traditional Catholic newspaper, right? Now look, obviously we live in very difficult and confusing times, and you can't expect any publication to get everything right all the time. That's understood. And, of course, different contributors may have somewhat different views on things. But for heaven's sake, whether or not the Vatican II Church is the indefectible Roman Catholic Church, outside of which there is no salvation, or an apostate counterfeit from hell that ruins people's faith, hope, and charity, surely a consistent position on that fundamental question isn't too much to ask. On July 28th of this year, The Remnant published another article by Morrison entitled Can We Accurately Diagnose the Bergoglio Disorder Afflicting the Church? The diagnosis the author ends up giving is the following, quote, Bergoglio is the anti-Catholic man permitted by God to wield power over the mystical body of Christ as the reputed pope, in service of Satan and the globalists, to advance the crisis in the church through a calculated process of destruction which causes many souls to be lost, but which will ultimately purify the church. Unquote. Okay, now let's contrast these words with Pope Pius XII's description of the pope. Okay, the pope as such, meaning any pope. Quote, the Pope has the divine promises. Even in his human weaknesses, he is invincible and unshakable. He is the messenger of truth and justice, the principle of the unity of the church. His voice denounces errors, idolatries, superstitions. He condemns iniquities. He makes charity and virtue loved. Unquote. Again, that's Pope Pius XII from the address Ancora Una Volta of February 20th, 1949. So, let's see. We have a description of what Bergoglio is and does, and we have a description of what the Pope is and does. Now, who in his right mind can't see that these two descriptions are inherently incompatible? meaning they're mutually exclusive. Obviously, if Francis is an anti-Catholic servant of Satan and the globalists, advancing a calculated process of destruction of the mystical body of Christ to the eternal damnation of many souls, 
then he is not, at the same time, the invincible messenger of truth and justice, who enjoys the divine assistance even amidst human weakness, and who condemns error, idolatry, and iniquity, and makes charity and virtue loved. Ladies and gentlemen, as the apostasy in the Vatican organization progresses, the recognize and resist position, which had been the mainstream traditionalist position for so long, is making less and less sense. Its stubborn defenders are trying at all costs to maintain a position that insists, on the one hand, that Bergoglio is the Pope, and unless you accept that, you're no longer a Catholic. But on the other hand, that you cannot actually adhere to his magisterium without running the grave risk of basically being led to hell. And that's just absurd on its face, because the papacy is not just a label. To say someone is the Pope means he is the one governing the Christian flock and he must be followed because he governs with the authority of Christ. It is Christ himself who guarantees that by following the Pope, we will not be misled. So, reason itself leads to the conclusion that either Francis is the Pope, and then what he teaches is entirely safe for a Catholic to accept, or his teaching is dangerous, infernal garbage, and then he is not, in fact, the Pope. But what you cannot have is the in-between position that he is the Pope, and it's still garbage. As I've said in a prior podcast, you know, you really can't lose being a Sedevacantus. Because just assume for a minute that Francis were, in fact, the Pope. Well, then what does any of this matter? If Francis is the Pope then atheists can go to heaven, then Protestant sects are used by the Holy Ghost as means of salvation, then human fraternity is the anchor of salvation, and then God wills there to be a diversity of religions. So why not also say Vacantism? If basically everyone goes to heaven anyway, because being a Christian is only one way of coming to God and not about adhering to a doctrine anyway, if it's all about soup kitchens and caressing the elderly, and if the Jews have their own valid covenant with God, well then who cares if you go to the Latin Mass and believe in the Old Catechism? If everything Francis teaches is true, then you might as well be a Sedevacantist because then you won't go to hell for that either. If, on the other hand, Francis is not the Pope, well, then you really want to be a Sedevacantist. So, really, it's a win-win. What is definitely not possible in all of this is that Francis is the Pope, and you're required to accept him to be saved, but that you must, at the same time, refuse him submission and flee his teachings, his laws, and his canonizations, Likewise, as a matter of eternal salvation, right? That position is completely nuts. In fact, let me go one step further and say something funny, but true. Even if Francis is the Pope, he's not the Pope. Ha! What do I mean by that? 
I mean that if Francis were to meet all the criteria for being a true pope and he could still do what he's doing, like, you know, teach heresy in his official magisterium and canonize public sinners as saints and so on, then the Catholic teaching about the papacy would obviously be false. And that would mean that Catholicism is false, which would likewise mean that our Lord did not, in fact, institute the papacy. But if our Lord did not institute the papacy, then there is no such thing as a real pope. Then it's just a human invention. So even then, Francis would not be the pope. But don't worry, our Lord is truly God, and he truly founded the Roman Catholic Church, and he truly instituted the papacy. Jorge Bergoglio just happens not to be a valid holder of that office. Hey, it's a necessary conclusion. And you know what else? It's also a marvelously liberating conclusion. To know that that stinking apostate does not, in fact, hold the chair of St. Peter. Don't let Francis play with your soul. Unless you reject his claim to being a valid pope, he will lead you either into the sin of heresy, by making you agree with his manifestly false doctrines, or into the sin of schism, by making you separate from the man you believe to be the pope. There is only one way out of this dilemma. Recognize that Jorge Mario Bergoglio is a lot of things, but Pope of the Catholic Church isn't one of them. And with that, we've come to the end of a very busy Tradcast 33. Thank you for being a part of it. And if you found it helpful, please don't forget to tell others about it. Friends, don't let friends be Novos Ordo. Until next time, God bless you.
Trapcast.